Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. So today I am delighted to be, uh, first of all, on a personal note, um, recording my eighth interview. Um, So one of the statistics that scared me about podcasting, to be honest, when I started was obviously the amount of work that's involved, but also the fact that apparently 90% of podcasts never make it past the seventh episode. So here I am recording my eighth, so I feel a sense of achievement. And I think what makes it particularly special is that I'm sitting with somebody who I have known and worked with as a dear friend for many years in the Irish market. And her name is Liane Papillianu. So I've been, I have to confess, practicing how to pronounce that um, over the last hour or so. I probably haven't done it justice, but I will say that Leanne is a woman who I have followed in terms of her loyalty career um, for the entire duration of my loyalty career. So, I mean, I'm super proud to have a decade of loyalty experience. Leanne has two. (laughs) You're showing my age, Paula. Which clearly means she was a child when she started. So very much Leanne is somebody who has worked across all industry verticals and really, I think to me, um, excels in the strategy. So understanding customers in terms of how they think, how they feel and how you want them to think and feel. So we're going to have a fantastic conversation today. I will let Leanne talk you through some of her best case studies because there's just too many to mention here. Um, But I will say that um, really her agency, Chili Pepper, is still the only loyalty strategy agency in the Irish market. Now, Leanne is originally born in Zimbabwe, uh, moved to South Africa and has also lived in the UK and now 16 years in Ireland. So in terms of the overall proposition for this show, which is Global Voices of Loyalty, uh, Leanne absolutely fits the bill. So delighted to be talking to her here today. Now, as I said, I have followed Leanne uh, for the entire decade of my experience in loyalty. And I don't just mean on the um, Instagram side of things. I literally mean that on a couple of the programs that I worked on, Leanne was in there first, doing all the, the clever stuff, as I say, with the strategy, the frameworks and the thinking. And quite often then I would have been brought in to operationalize those programs. So we've worked together a couple of times and learned a lot from each other. So I would like to really welcome Leanne Papianu to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you so much, Paula. It's a delight and even more excited that it's your eighth episode and we're sitting here together. It feels quite momentous. And what many of you might not know is Paula's in Ireland back home for this recording. So it's extra special. So thank you so much. It is. It's fantastic. So we're sitting here in the offices of Chili Pepper in Dublin and we're going to talk through some of the kind of projects that have been done over the last number of years. But before we start that, as you know, we start every show with uh, our favorite loyalty statistic. So I'm going to ask Leanne to tell me first and foremost, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? So mine, I I kind of had a bit of a laugh going through this because I thought my team was so sick and tired of hearing all my loyalty statistics. But I I chose one that I thought would be really interesting for your listeners, and that is that 77% of loyalty programs based purely on transactional behaviors like earning points, Mm. et cetera, actually are said to fail within the first two years. And that was a stat that came out of Capgemini, which I found quite interesting. Wow. And then listening to your podcast with Crispin Rogers a couple of weeks ago, where he said, I think it was on episode six, if I'm not mistaken, mm. he mentioned about the seven billion pounds mm. worth of points yeah. um, and currencies that haven't actually been used. And both of these fit neatly into our functional and kind of rational belief of loyalty mm. in chili pepper, which is that we believe participation is the holy grail of loyalty programs and loyalty success. Yeah. And by that, we mean that if you actually give customers the opportunity to engage both from a transactional and an emotional point of view, yeah. get them to participate in your program, mm. that results in them being committed to your brand and into your program. And so what we what we tend to see is a lot of programs that are very focused on transactional, so don't have any of the emotion. Yeah. They're not connected with the brand. They're not authentic. Yeah. Those programs tend to land up being just purely transactional programs yeah. where they have huge balances of rewards and, yeah. or points that, yeah. and rewards that are not deemed. Yeah. 
uh, redeemed. And so looking at it now through the lens of consumers, we have to find ways to get them to authentically engage with our brands. Beautiful. And so transactional loyalty programs don't work anymore. We have yeah. to look at balancing transactional and emotional. Lovely, lovely. That's really succinctly, Anne. And yeah, I really think we need to explore reinventing loyalty programs because that's something you and I have talked about. And I know Chili Pepper is doing a huge amount of work around. Before we get into, you know, maybe the zeitgeist in the Irish loyalty market, I'd love to look back at some of the award-winning programs that you've worked on. Um, um, and I suppose the one that I'm um, always most excited about, uh, purely because I've seen it, you know, internationally, is the Player Park program. And I suppose listeners will be very familiar that I do a lot of work in fuel retail and the program that you developed in an industry that I think is absolutely renowned for, you know, tiny margins, uh, grudge purchase and really undifferentiated. Like, I would love to just talk about what does that program program do. And for listeners, what I will just say is the program was originally built for a company called Topaz, which still is the leading fuel retailer in Ireland, but has been acquired by Circle K, which I'm going to say would be three or four years ago yeah. now, maybe even longer. Um, so Irish consumers are very familiar now with Circle K. And Circle K clearly have brought their own expertise from around the world. But what they have done is retained Player Park. So Leanne, tell us all about that amazing program. Um, you know, Player Park was a really, um, it was a catalyst in many people's lives at the time because um, Topaz, as you said, largest fuel and convenience brand in Ireland, loads of footfall, millions of transactions a week going through their tills, um, but margin on fuel is minute. And so when you looked at the fuel industry, and, and you know this well, and many of your listeners will too, it's not like conventional retailing where you can change your margins up and down. And mm. from a loyalty program perspective, afford maybe a little bit more than other industries. Yeah. So when Tobias approached um, Chili Pepper and asked us to look at customer loyalty, it wasn't a free for all, yes, we're going for a loyalty program. It mm. was come in, investigate it and convince us mm. that this can actually help us wow. get closer to our customers. This was not a, you've got a blank check, okay. come in and create something. Yeah. And I'll never forget um, the gentleman who brought us in. We were standing in the canteen and I just presented our pitch deck to him and he turned around and said, Asha, listen, give it a go. Three <laughs> people before you have tried oh my and God. they've never been able to fix it. Wow. Um, you know, to fix it, but what I mean by that is create something that yeah. worked, that yeah. meant that the customers loved it, the business saw the value in it, yeah. and that they could actually see a return on. So okay. this was a very tall order. And maybe to set the scene very quickly, yeah. um, it's not just fuel and convenience yeah. um, for Topaz at the time, that yeah. they were the largest home heat distributor. Got it. Um, and that they also had the largest fuel card base. Okay. So it was B2B as well. Okay. So trying to find a solution that worked across their complex business mm -hmm. in a way that consumers would engage with yeah. on your point of a grudge purchase yeah. and to make it stack up financially was no mean feat. Of course. And so what we did is we, we went out to research. Mm -hmm. um, we started off discussing having one-to-ones with their senior management team, yeah. discussing what the business objectives were. I wasn't looking at loyalty to start <laughs> with. I was going, how can I figure out how this business works and yeah. what are their business objectives and what were their business challenges? Yeah. Um, we then brought their entire senior manager, the directors okay. of Topaz at the time, into a room yeah. and brainstormed with them and got a real essence of who they were as a business. Mm -hmm. um, and their premise at the time of the business was that's better. That was their kind of line, nice. trying to do something, but always trying to do it just that much better. Lovely. And so we um, created three different, what we call in Chili Pepper, loyalty wireframes, mm. which were very different in their look and feel. Okay. In their approach, in their mechanisms. Um, and we took them into research with these customers. Okay. And um, the whole point of a loyalty wireframe is to actually get customers to say, I hate that. I'd never <laughs> engage with it. Yeah. Then I turn it's around a disaster. and go, thank goodness we didn't invest in that. Um, yeah. it, it, there's a lot more, obviously. There's more science behind it than that. But a lot of the times we say to our clients, if they say no, to a concept that's brilliant because you haven't invested it yeah. and yeah. Um, invested in it. And so we took 
these three wireframes into research yeah. and um, two more traditional okay. loyalty uh, loyalty programs. Yeah. Um, and then one really crazy idea, which was all around gamification yeah. in a very simple format yeah. um, to begin with. And at the end of the day, three key insights came out. Okay. Um, and the first one was very much um, that no loyalty really, and we call it traditional loyalty, no traditional loyalty really existed in the fuel industry. Okay. And by that I mean, it sounds like quite a bold statement, but by, by that I mean that convenience, yeah. so proximity to your petrol station and price of petrol yeah. are bigger drivers of course, than the traditional loyalty programs. Okay. So you're already in quite a tough market, and Paula, you'd know a lot about yeah. this from your, your fuel uh, background. Yeah. The second thing was... Fuel is a big grudge purchase, yeah. um, but it goes deeper than that. And this is what I found fascinating. Yeah. Women hated filling up with fuel. Yeah. They thought that their hands would stink <laughs> afterwards, that, um, you know, yeah. their, their clothes would stink and all these brands that try to put plastic gloves and, you know, they'd fill it up, but it didn't change the fact yeah. that many women in our research, yeah. and this was just of our segment of research, would actually get their husbands or boyfriends or dads to fill up their car because they hated it. For sure, yeah. So much. Yeah. And then for parents, filling up with petrol with their kids in the back of the car was quite a concern because what do you do? Do you leave the kids in the car when you go yeah. in to pay and what have you? So yeah. there were a lot of um, interesting insights mm. that we were picking at mm. through this loyalty wireframe research where we were able to identify some loyalty triggers. So what were the things that we could do, just even if it was 1% better? Okay. What were the things that we could do mm. from a loyalty perspective yeah. that would help shift this focus um, okay. from consumers? And the okay. third point to, to, to make is that Topaz was not first to market ah. with a loyalty program in Ireland. Yeah. And so they almost had to overcome the um, inherent um, or habitual behavior that their competitor brand okay. had created yeah. around the understanding of loyalty in a fuel market. Okay. Um, and the interesting insight that came out of all of this research and many, many weeks and weeks of work was that we had to give customers permission to play. Now, this is going to sound like a big stretch for anybody yeah. who's worked in, yeah. in loyalty and the fuel industry. Yeah. But we had to just make filling up that little bit more fun. Okay. Now that's still going to sound like a stretch <laughs> to many people. Yeah. Um, but the dots just joined for us. Yeah. And it was, you know, people don't understand one cent or fuel. They don't, it, it doesn't really mean anything to it, them. It's so little value. So yeah. little value. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that we believe participation is the holy grail okay. in loyalty. Got it. Yeah. We understood that if you could give them the opportunity that every time they filled up, mm. they had the chance to win something significant. Yeah. We were onto a good wicket. Okay. And so um, Play or Park was created. Okay. The premise of which is very simple now that we look back <laughs> at it um, and, and beautiful in its simplicity is that when you fill up with fuel, you yeah. get... A, a gaming currency, a point. Okay. For, I think that we called it a token at the time. I think they might have kept that language now. You get a token for every uh, litre of fuel that you put in the car and you get four tokens for every euro that you spend nice. in store. Okay. As a result of that, mm -hmm. when you collect 200 tokens, mm -hmm. that is equal to one play. Okay. And that play yeah. gives you the choice. Okay. Every single month. Mm -hmm. To play your points okay. or pay your tokens yeah. to win the chance of a lifetime. Wow. Or to park your points mm -hmm. if that month's yeah. experience of a lifetime isn't what you're looking for. Okay. To the next month. Mm. And the, the the essence behind the experience of a lifetime, the monthly prize, mm. was that it was always meant to be shared. So it would be a trip to New York wow. for you and four friends, yeah. all expenses paid. Yeah. It was meant to be shared. Beautiful. A new word of mouth type thing. <laughs> um, the second was that it was always meant to be a money can't, a truly money can't buy experience. Okay. So things like access to New York Fashion Week okay. um, for you and your mates, if that was the case. Yeah. Or, you know, really innovative experiences. And the team at Topaz worked so hard to identify what these once in a lifetime experiences were for yeah. their customers. Yeah. 
that actually when you looked at the 12 month calendar of experiences of a lifetime, yeah. the debates would start off, oh, I'm parking my points for, <laughs> you know, December when yeah. it's, you know, yeah. free fuel for a year. Because for many people that was really important. Yeah, Whereas wow. others were dying yeah. to go to New York Fashion Week, Paula, <laughs> you'd be there. Um, <laughs> go together. So the, yeah. So, the, so the, 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 even the experiences of a lifetime were so well thought through based on insights and customer needs and motivations. Mm-hmm. And then to make matters even better, um, and I'm, I'm sure many of your your uh, listeners can can understand this. That we we see the same in national lottery as well. Is this winner's belief? Um, there is an inherent culture in Ireland specifically where people are quite cynical and they don't believe okay. that anybody wins the prizes. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. I've seen that in research, yes. Very true. Yeah. So we um, were very cognizant of this and so winner's belief became something that we held um, very close to our hearts when we were developing the strategy. Love it. And yeah. so what we did to counterbalance this was every time somebody, a consumer, yeah, played in a month yeah even if they didn't win the beautiful experience of a lifetime to new york okay they would win okay something yeah and that something would always be the same for everybody in that month Love in it. other words it would be a free cappuccino and a pastry or beautiful. a free if if it was the healthy summer months it would you know this the coming into yeah. the summer months it would be <laughs> water and you know a lovely a fruit pot lovely and so what this meant yeah. is as consumers got engaged in the program yeah even if they didn't win the big prize yeah they still got something that they could redeem yeah after the fact yeah um and look the, the interesting part of play or park which nobody really sees now is that we built a business case a very robust commercial business case that needed to get top level board approval yeah as to the cost of running a program yeah um to ensure that it was actually a going to see a return yeah B, that it was not eating the margin like many other fuel loyalty programs Mm. were. And see that customers would actually love it and engage in it. And the results were outstanding. It landed yeah. up being the first ever mm. gamified, um, sorry, they, they say ongoing gamified retail loyalty program in the world. Wow. The reason was because it wasn't just for a month or of for course. two. It yeah. wasn't a gimmick. Yeah. This was actually their loyalty mechanic. Yeah. And as a result, they gained incredible market share. Yeah. Um, 27% of Irish consumers would now choose topaz to go to versus others wow uh, there's loads of statistics from from the business out there on the internet if you google it which i know you have for your articles <laughs> and i've even amazing written, yes written. yes yeah the results have been outstanding and and the interesting thing is people still play it hasn't lost its yeah its impetus the fun factor the fun factor exactly um so it's been a huge success. Yeah. We're, we're proud of it because commercially it's stacked up. Yes, yeah. Um, and consumers um, got the energy and the excitement of it. Yeah. And more importantly, now that they have rebranded um, to Circle K, yeah. that they have kept it. Retained even though, yeah, yeah. And yeah. even though Circle K has a standard points-based program around the rest of the globe, yes. they've decided to keep Playo Park. So it's wonderful for everybody. There you go. And I can share with you from my knowledge of fuel retail that Circle K globally has a policy and they call it copy with pride. So if there was anything underperforming with Player Park, they would be straight off to other markets to take their, their loyalty programs and bring it here. But what you've done is you've tapped into an extraordinary insight that particularly, I am an Irish woman, I hate filling my car, I'm in your target segment. They absolutely and we absolutely got the difference between this brand is making this a bit of fun on my, you know, commute, which genuinely I'm not going to enjoy. So really, really, that is just, I think, a career high for you and one that, again, I've written about, I've celebrated. And uh, yeah, just one that I think there's there's a lot of resources on your website, which we'll come to later. But the more that people are aware of these type of ideas and remind me, when did Player Park launch? So it launched in 2013. Okay, and what so I'd six years. Yeah. Six years, yeah. And what I'd yeah. say to you is that there, there, there's um, there's another part. It's kind of like a trifecta in my in my idea when I look back at at Playo Park is yeah the the team that they had working in Topaz at the time yeah were so open to trying something new. Great, and, and I yeah. use the word brave not in a um, patronizing way at all. Gotcha. 
But when a crazy South African woman <laughs> accent, Greek surname, yeah, yeah. you know. We don't quite know where she came from. Doesn't know, right, doesn't know the chameleon that she is walks in yeah. based on sound, solid insights. Yeah. Great commercial, um, and, yeah. you know, forecast and business case. Yeah. With a wacky idea. Yeah. And and they looked at it and they said, let's do it. And they put the full force of the business behind it, including the yeah. finance teams, yeah. the buyers, the yeah. the marketing team were outstanding, the, the operations, the B2B side of it, the fuel car teams. I, this was not a one-man show. This yeah. was an entire organization stepping firmly into their belief yeah. that the customer should be at the center of it. And I, and the reason why now, Paula, I look back at it and I, and I believe it's a career high yeah. is actually because it was the culmination of deep customer insight with a brilliant client um, and group yeah. of people that were so committed to the customer. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Chili Pepper bringing our level of expertise and experience on top of it. Yeah. And I think that is the power of three that made it so unique. That's wow. what I'm so proud of oh more than anything. Great, great case study, Leanne. So thank you for that. Um, there's a, a million things I could pick up on in, in what you've said. But one I love particularly, and it was at the very beginning, um, and then I'll, I want to go into kind of how you approach these things. Um, I always find it a challenge when a client says, convince us <laughs> that we should do a loyalty program. I mean, how do you respond to that? Because at that stage, I think in a, in a discussion with either a, a CEO, be it your own CEO or a client, you don't have the wow idea. Do you know what I mean? So, one hundred percent. Like, yeah. so, 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 do you need or do you have like the actual ROI at that stage to go? This is what I commit. Our business will deliver for you. Or what, how do you answer that? Okay. So first of all, um, my job. It's going to sound completely counterintuitive, but my job is not to convince you that you need a loyalty program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. I can bring resources and statistics and case studies of great work across multiple industries okay. that can prove the power of loyalty, gotcha. that can prove the power of data, that can okay. prove the power of insights, okay. and that can prove the return yes. on a successfully implemented customer strategy. And I use customer strategy because okay. it might not necessarily be a loyalty program that they need. Nice. It might be a customer engagement program or okay. strategy that they need. And, okay. and, and I'm picking on words there, but just to, yeah. to give you an Expand. insight into to yeah. the way that I view it. So um, my philosophy is that businesses either place customers first yes. or they don't. Yes. Um, that's the first thing. Okay. If you don't place the customer first okay. and you need somebody to convince you to, mm -hmm. um, there are many agencies and many <laughs> consulting firms that are out there that can do that. Got it's you. not because I shy away from the discussion. I'm happy to have it. Okay. But I believe that the number one reason why customer strategies and loyalty programs work is yeah. because there's commitment and buy-in from a very senior level yes. that the customer is in some shape or form important yeah. in yes. their business, right? <laughs> Talk about stating the obvious. Okay. But that, we, that, we see both. You, you hear where I'm coming from, right? <laughs> yeah. The second part of it is that from a... Um, from a loyalty program point of view, quite often I find when I speak to CEOs yes. and CMOs yes. that they either have an idea of a loyalty solution okay. that they're looking for right. or they are asking me why they should have a loyalty solution. And so what we tend to do is take all the information that they've given us, but then step back mm. and have a broader business conversation with them. Nice. Because I would rather know whether you're looking to increase margin, drive new market share, okay. drive basket size from existing I'd rather have those objectives. Gotcha. Um, and then decide what type of customer solution you're looking for, a customer strategy you're looking for. Okay. Um, when we then get into the loyalty discussion yeah. on, on, on your question specifically, yeah is um, really when you look at somebody saying to you, what is the ROI going to be? Yeah. I'm sure if you spoke to <laughs> yeah. the great experts that you're speaking to on these episodes that have many different answers. You yeah. know, there are um, there are loyalty stats coming out of their ears. That's yeah. absolutely fine. But I believe it's absolutely down to that specific customer. So I'm going to give an example. We had um, mm -hmm. somebody approach us a couple of months ago and say, mm -hmm. we're looking for a loyalty program. Um, our board don't believe in loyalty. You need to come in and convince them. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. I 
went. Yeah, Because I'm in for a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't go in with the, I'm going to convince your board they need a loyalty program. Yeah. I'm going to go in and show you how, if you are committed to a customer, yeah. if you show um, your empathy to customers, if you if you believe passionately about your business yes. and connect with those customers, okay. then there is an opportunity for you to drive engagement and okay. commitment from those customers. And whether that's a points-based program or a rewards program sure. or a gamified loyalty program, whatever the case may be, yeah. will de- be determined yeah. based on what your customers say it is, not what you say it is. Okay, lovely. Okay. Um, and part of that journey is listening to customers mm. and then building the optimum solution because there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all and then coming out with the business case. So yeah. there is no, look, in my opinion, yeah. there's no ways that anybody can stand up in front of a business that they've just met and say your yeah. ROI on a program is going to be X. I, it, it, not in my experience. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that because I'm often sitting there going, I, I, can't, I don't have a crystal ball. I can tell you a well-run program will change behavior. But honestly, at that early stage, I just kind of feel the expectations can be, you know, in excess of what I want to put my name to until I get into how committed are you? How well are you going to operationalize and execute on this program? And just to, to touch back on Topaz one more time, what as a consumer I always felt was the the, the engagement with staff was exceptional. So with the best will in the world, your beautiful communication strategy and, you know, a proposition um, is utterly useless unless at that, you know, moment of truth, um, the, the staff member actually um, enthusiastically yep. <laughs> and with, let's say, authenticity can say, no, this is a great program, you should join. I think so, Paul, and I think what tends to happen on your point of trying to answer that question very early on in your engagement, if there are any other loyalty consultants out there or there we are. people who are working, um, yeah. listeners who are working in a brand where they're the loyalty manager trying to convince their business why loyalty matters. Exactly. And why it's successful, you know, why it should be successful and could be successful yeah. is yeah. Um, we often get calls from brands that are looking to implement loyalty programs. Mm -hmm. And quite often they will say, we have found a loyalty technology partner who can help us develop the technology or help us implement the technology. Gotcha. And we need you to come in and find a strategy for us. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or we'd get a call to say, we have appointed a loyalty rewards partners. Okay. We figured out what all of the rewards are. Mm Mm-hmm. But now we need you to come in and help us figure out what the plan is. Okay. And we at Chili Pepper fundamentally believe strategy first. Great. So yeah. we say to them, and we're great at sharing knowledge. And <laughs> as I always say to you, Paula, go on yeah. the website. There's yeah. loads of information for free. We're absolute advocates in sharing information. And I'd say the same to them too. I'd say, yeah, great. Yeah. Go and have a look on the website. There's loads of information. But realistically, brands should start strategy first. Because what tends to happen is if you have a technology technology platform and now you're trying to find a solution to fit into it, Mm -hmm. you're bound by what the technology company can or can't do. Whereas if you go and figure out what your strategy is, what your customers want, what the insights are, what the loyalty triggers are, what the reward triggers are, what behaviors you want to change, put it all into a brilliant strategy yeah. supported by a rock solid business case yeah. and then go to the technology company and say, this is what we want to do. Yes. They will tell you how they can make it happen. Absolutely. And so the technology, um, we always say the strategy stretches the thinking. Okay. The technology shouldn't withhold the thinking. Okay. Contain it. Contain the thinking. Anyway, got it. And the same for rewards partners. Yeah. Go to your reward partners. Get them involved. Yeah. But just don't go to them first, in our opinion. But we would say that because we're strategists. So, of course, we're going to say that. But bring them on the journey because they're the experts in reward. Yeah. But rather do strategy first and then bring it into reward thinking. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Um, So, thank you for that. Um, And again, I think it's the gods of Google that we can partly blame. So, you know, I think a 
lots of people do sit down and go, you know, loyalty program, and there's just much more technology options or rewards options. And they don't always think, actually, strategic thinking probably needs some expertise. Um, and again, I know a, a part that you're amazing on, you've already talked about it, is that business case piece. So, you know, we've got an idea. Well, can we afford to execute on yeah. that idea? <laughs> you know, how Absolutely. generous do we want to be? And, and whatever. Yeah. And I should just say on that, I love our technology partners that we use. Of course. They are experts. Oh, always. I not, we could not do anything that we do without of them course. at all. And quite often, I'm the I, same. you're the same. Yeah. And quite often, I'm writing strategy and phoning yeah. our technology partners saying, yeah. is this possible? And they go, oh, heavens above, Leanne, really? <laughs> but collectively, yeah. it's improved all of our businesses when you work uh, yeah. as partnerships. I, I was going to say, most of the technology companies I've worked with, uh, they heave a sigh of relief when they go, oh, thank God, the, the plan is signed off. <laughs> This is not going to be a movable feast in terms of, you know, a client literally like making it up as they go along, you know, with the best will in the world. Um, and and I was referring earlier, I suppose, to, you know, a former life where I was a, a beauty therapist. And I know this is completely off topic, but I always had the same opinion in terms of beauty therapy because I specialized in doing nail extensions. Again, very random. But people used to say to me, oh, you've got so many competitors. I was like, I don't mind what competitor you go to, but go to somebody who is specialized in doing this. And it's the same principle for loyalty. Find somebody who knows what you need, <laughs> can help you on your journey, educate you, make sure you've got the right technology partner. Because again, from talking with, with Mike Atkin, as you know, we've benchmarked 65 loyalty platforms. Like, where are you going to start looking, you know, if you have a great idea to find the right platform unless you've got a crystal clear plan and then at least go, okay, who can do this? <laughs> and it's true though, Paula, because yeah. it is the power of the collective. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you could write a great strategy, um, or let me do it the other way. You could have great technology without yeah. the right strategy, yeah. and the program won't be as successful as it could be. Yeah. You could have great technology, great strategy, and the rewards are wrong. Exactly. Customers are not going to engage. Participation is going to go down. Yeah. You're going to see a knock-on. You might have all of that that's great, yeah. and um, the research, it's not it's not based on sound. Or maybe there's yeah. no research. Quite often, yeah. you know, there isn't research. Yeah. So in, in we, we built kind of a proprietary um, strategic framework, which I'll share with your listeners later, mm. um, if you'd like that. Yeah. Um, which touches every single um, kind of part of that um, yeah. kind of understanding of who the customer is, what technology, yeah. what are they looking for? Is it an app? Isn't it an app? What rewards are they looking for? Yeah. Which just means that Chili Pepper are absolutely not saying we're experts in technology, we're not, but we find the right people for the right client to come in and solve their problem gotcha. for them. And so yeah. that's why that's why we work in a brilliant industry that we do, where mm. we have honor and respect for many of our colleagues okay. and our peers yeah. um, to come to come on the journey with us and help us make it the best that it can be. Absolutely. And I would love to talk about that now, Leanne, because what you gave me um, in preparation for this uh, conversation was, I suppose, what you believe are the principles for success with, with loyalty and, and driving that with customers. And we've already talked about the emotional piece as, as distinct from transactional piece. Um, but maybe just give us a high level view of what are the key principles of, um, you know, creating successful loyalty with your customers? Oh, so <laughs> fascinating. What, what Paula knows is that I could be here for eight hours, actually. Okay, so I'll do a whistle-stop tour. And, and what I'd say to you is there are brilliant courses and diplomas that you can do in yeah. loyalty across the world and you're an advocate of them and yeah. it's amazing and so am I and we've listened to Mike and, and and all of his experience in creating them yeah this is really um the foundation that I kind of take my team of consultants through okay. when we're writing loyalty strategies because it helps us to actually ensure that we're sticking to our own principles of loyalty. Okay, so okay. the first one is really that it links with the brand positioning and the ethos of the brand. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by this? Um, if your listeners haven't heard about glass box brands, I'd really recommend they go and Google it. It's a brilliant kind of description of um, brands that need to become more authentic and um, that consumers want to know what you're doing internally. They want to understand what your brand and your ethos are and that Lovely. they only yeah. want to work with businesses or yeah. only want to deal with businesses who are authentic yeah. and doing the right things. And now with all the environmental issues, we see a lot more of this coming about. Definitely. So yeah, yeah. What, what often happens with brands is that um, 
there they would be approached by a um kind of a white label loyalty program um yes. that will come in and they'll say look we can we can we can yeah. give you all of this um, yeah. on a technology loyalty platform or loyalty technology platform yeah um and we can just tailor it to you yeah I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm yeah. just saying make sure you actually tailor it to match your brand ethos yes. and your values. Yeah. Otherwise, to any consumer yeah. out there, they will just see it as a cheap example of a loyalty program that has just been plugged into the side of your yeah. business. Yeah. And instead of the business being a customer-centric um, organization that is yeah. driven by true customer understanding yeah. it looks like you've gone oh heavens above we've forgotten to do a loyalty program and plugged <laughs> it on the side yeah. they can, they, consumers can spot a fake loyalty program from a million miles away so being authentic to your brand is key yeah and I think that's probably the first lesson I learned from you and I just want to go back to um, because we worked on O2 Priority Moments together and you know it was 10 years ago and at the time I mean Telefonica is an extraordinary company it has that customer advocacy and intention but again the reason you were brought in to, to think about strategy and I was brought in to help and operationalize and everything else was around that point of differentiation they'd had the white label solution they'd seen that that wasn't fooling anyone <laughs> so they were like no we want something where people actually go no that's cool <laughs> that's cool and that's yeah. and, and it's so true that that's cool and that's relevant to the relationship that I have with the brand. So exactly. I can understand yeah. that O2 um, is a trendy brand. I can understand that it's yeah. it's all about mobile and movement and technology. Yeah. So everything that you created as a result of that went through the lens of authenticity from the brand that O2 was at the time. And I think yeah. it's really, really important. And I think the second point that we always make is taking a um, – that it taps into a unique insight. So, yeah. and the Topaz example that I gave you, that's absolutely fine. That's one example. Um, yeah. A great example of taps into a unique insight is that I believe, now insights are very difficult to come up, come up with. And I am, there, there are many, many, many research experts out there who spend their days and nights yeah. crunching numbers to come up with insights. But turning yeah. turning a, kind of a, an insight into a real customer <laughs> insight yeah. that you can build a brilliant strategy on is, yeah. is it's such a yeah. unique skill. Yeah. Um, and I would say to any companies out there, spend money on turning research into proper deep insights because yeah. Yeah. what you unlock from there is yeah. something that you can use to create an absolutely unique program. And, mm. um, Many of the loyalty programs that we create, we spend more time actually working on the insights um, at the very, you know, kind of at that research stage of the project than we do actually doing the research, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. So once it all yeah. comes out, we spend that time. Yeah. Because a brilliant insight is one of those things where a consumer sees it like you did with Playo Park and you go, wow. Yeah, love it. How come nobody's thought of that before? Exactly. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So yeah. insights are really, really key. Um, yeah. I think that's that's important. And, and then right. I think we mentioned participation engagement. Yeah. That's yeah. really, um, yeah. from our point of view, something that, that we are big on. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it is really the the kind of the, the rewards. And I think, you know, it's it's quite often an area where brands um, are only now realizing the importance of of having the right rewards. Correct. And yeah. making sure that they're balanced across tangible, experiential, emotional. And again, from your podcast yeah. a couple of weeks ago, you know, the emotional side of rewards are becoming so important. Yeah. And, you know, any of our clients that you speak to, uh, my team would study the same. I'm constantly on the yeah. what's our earn burn ratio, how many rewards yeah. have been redeemed, yeah. where are we, what are customers saying about them. Mm. Once the program is up and running, I'm more interested in making sure that customers actually get those rewards and they get that experience experience of yes. something so fabulous that they wouldn't have had before yeah because that is where somebody goes oh I value this yes yeah it's yeah. worthwhile yeah and uh, a couple of things I want to mention one there is a fabulous statistic on the 7-eleven franchise website which I think every loyalty professional should understand and uh, you would have known it in your topaz days but it's literally after the customer redeems the first time mm -hmm. their basket spend goes up 33 percent so by closing the loop mm -hmm. and making sure they get the experience, and that can be anything from an emotional reward or a micro reward, mm -hmm. honestly, the change in behavior is exceptional. So um, so I really love that. Um, Very important, Paula. And I think, yeah. you know, 
that links in really nicely to the, the, the metric side. And I know in one of the other podcasts, you were talking about data and the lack of kind of, um, um, how can I put it, um, attention that, that yeah. some brands give to the, this, this yeah. mountain of, of data. And it's so overwhelming because yeah. they all of a sudden go from zero to hero with all this data <laughs> and they're kind of standing back going, what do we do? You know, yeah. and I think yeah. we, we, we work on, um, um, a loyalty scorecard, if you can imagine that, nice. for okay. um, yeah. brands that are starting yeah. out with their loyalty programs. We would say to them, look, you know, mm. for the first month or two, have your scorecard up. Uh, we normally get them to blow it up and put it onto their, their office wall so everybody can see it to go, the scorecard, these are the 10 or these are the 15 KPIs, the metrics for success for the first couple of months, okay. just before you get all that data. Yeah. Because if they try and dive into the data too quickly, yeah. they tend to be overwhelmed by it so I've been there you, you, you understand yeah, what I mean yeah. and I, I mean many of your listeners might be laughing saying you know this is this sounds crazy it all should be magic and perfect the reality yeah. is the yeah. scale of loyalty programs that we implement yeah. um, across many global brands is is that you have to have everybody connected the influences going around yeah. understanding it matrix management stakeholders you know ceos yeah. down to the data guys who are and girls yeah who are sitting there trying to make sense of data that they've never seen before yeah. so you know it's all planned out beautifully it all goes to plan yeah but it's also being very kind to yourselves as business nice knowing yeah what you expect to achieve at specific um, kind of milestones throughout your journey of loyalty and now yeah. we're at a stage in, in ireland which is very interesting mm. and i'm sure across the world we're yeah. actually going to a conference in a couple of days um, that that had this topic, and which is yes. why I'm actually going because I thought, okay, yeah. this is very interesting. Yeah. Which is around the rein, reinvention, or the we, yeah. we call it redefining loyalty, but it's the reinvention of loyalty programs, the programs that have been around for years and have done well. Yes, yeah. Or maybe some others haven't, or maybe others yeah. have done exceptionally well. Yeah. And how we all, as loyalty marketeers, yeah. need to stand up now and yeah. say, okay, let's look at this yeah. completely objectively. Okay. And identify how we can actually make it better. Okay. And make them better. Okay. So redefining loyalty, that's the focus. It's the focus. Wonderful. For Chili Pepper and for a lot of our clients too, yeah. Wonderful. The the, the next big topic, and I, I'm aware obviously of, of there's so much we can talk about, but uh, measurement, I know you've already just touched on it there in terms of KPIs. Um, and there are so many brands out there that, that do their NPS scores, but I think you have a real, um, I think a much more advanced view of what NPS can be. So I'd love you to talk um, all of the listeners through, you know, all of your understanding of NPS. You know, um, first of all, is it being used in your experience, in your clients, in the Irish market? Um, and how is it evolving? Because I know you taught me some, some new acronyms uh, as we chatted before the call. So it's like I've already learned something from you again, Leanne. So talk to us about NPS and, you know, what does success look like in terms of your net promoter score? Such a great question. So um, NPS has, as everybody would know, has been hailed as the answer to, yeah. to all metrics. And especially in loyalty, we hold it in such high esteem and rightly so. But there was always a part of NPS that I couldn't quite figure out. I'm burying my soul now. Anyway, <laughs> there was always a part of NPS that I couldn't figure out because I'd be looking at all this data and all these metrics. Mm. And the one thing that I couldn't figure out ever was how, you know, the NPS score could be measured against both the loyalty program and the brand. It, it, for me, it was perfect in its in its high yeah. level looking yeah. at it. Yeah. But to actually get into the difference between the relationship, which to me is the kind of the heart and the, the yeah. you know, that 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 kind of yeah. that feeling about a brand versus the they've delivered my my airline tickets uh, into my inbox and I'm going on a flight or whatever the case may be, um, just always was a question. And so in research that Chili Pepper have been doing for years since we started, we've always we had come up with this thing called the loyalty triggers, mm. um, which was very much looking at how asking yourself the question in the research and asking your customers the questions, what would drive um, emotional loyalty? What would drive transactional loyalty? And in retail, it would very much be, you know, scan my card, get the points, get money off. That, yeah. that was very transactional. Yeah. Um, and so we had created this loyalty triggers piece, and that was our way of interpreting and understanding the difference between emotional mm. loyalty and, and, and transactional loyalty. Yeah. 
Then subsequently, the very clever people in the world, um, <laughs> obviously having the same challenge yeah. as we were um, way more mature in, in, in their markets, um, yes. developed what they now look at as RNPS. I'm okay. going to say R because my accent, <laughs> R for Roy, Rory, um, RNPS okay. and TNPS. Okay. And this is quite interesting. So the RNPS yes. stands for relational Nice. I termed it relationship. Yes. It's not accurate. So if anybody's talking about it, I call gotcha. it relationship because yeah. people tend to grasp it quicker. Yeah. And so what this is about is when you're going and running an NPS score. Okay. You you test it in two ways. You test it from a relational point of view. So okay. Um, what's the overall perception of my business? What's the overall perception of the brand? Okay. How do you feel? feel about being a customer of X brand you okay. know what are the what are the um the relationship building kind of things that you can test from a brand point of view mm. that will help you get an idea as to how a customer yeah. actually feels about your brand okay but it's tend to it's it, it tends to be done in a broader framework okay, okay. so it's almost like a brand health check okay a loyalty program health check whatever you decide so instead okay. of doing a brand you might say okay you know how do you feel about the aerolingus loyalty program okay. you know how do you feel about the aerolingus that the fact that Airlingus has a loyalty program. It's kind of all more relationship type work, okay. type research. Then you look at the transactional part, which is all about the um, physical last interaction or transaction that you did. So okay. you, you land back in Dubai in a couple of days' time. Yeah. Yeah. Emirates sends you an email to say, mm. how was your flight? Mm. And there's a whole lot of questions in there, obviously a number of them being around TNPS. Okay. What is fascinating about this to me and gets me so excited is when we work with brands on RNPS and TNPS, yeah. we see brands that excel in RNPS and okay. their TNPS is on the floor. Wow. And what that means is they've done a fantastic job building relationships. Their brand is pretty much A yeah. for a way. Okay. But the physical ability to be able to do business with them yeah. is flawed. Okay. Yes. It's flawed. How frustrating. <laughs> and, and how frustrating. Yeah. And you know that that is only yeah. on a, um, there's there's a timeline in which consumers will, or customers will engage with that level of crazy. Yeah. And then they will drop off and switch. Okay. And at the same time, you could have customer uh, brands that are brilliant at TNPS. Okay. They're slick. They've got great customer um, experiences and journeys. Yeah. And they've mapped them all out and they've fixed all the flaws. Yeah. But from a brand reputation point of view or from a yeah. me wanting Wanting to be associated with you or me believing that you're doing the right thing yeah. uh, doesn't feel so good. So from a business perspective, they have to focus then on the RNPS side to bring that up. Gotcha. So in my opinion, it's absolutely the next wave for any 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 business, any marketeer, any loyalty marketeer. Yeah. I'd be looking at this because we work with a, with a really fantastic insurance company and um, mm. they are very progressive in, in this um, realm. And it's actually one of their global directives, wow. directives is to increase their NPS score. Wonderful. And so when you start to see yeah. um, relationship marketing, customer loyalty, whatever you want to term it, whatever yeah. the description is in your business, being pushed onto the board agenda, yeah. that a key metric like RNPS becomes a deciding factor for bonuses and for success. Yeah. You really know you're in the territory with like-minded people that you want to work with. Amazing. Amazing. And I'm going to start talking to you now about resources, Leanne. But even before that, there is one I want to add in, not quite on that depth of expertise, but the first time I started looking at NPS, um, there's a great article. I'll put it in the show notes and um, it's Harvard Business Review and they call it the one number you need to grow. So if there are any listeners who haven't even started at overall net promoter score, it talks through exactly why that's the one number you need to grow. Um, and I think you've touched on it there, for example, with, you know, you might fly Erlingus because it's the only airline yeah, yeah, going yeah. to yeah. Dubai yeah. or wherever. But actually, does that mean I want to refer it to my friends? Well, maybe not, because actually it mightn't have been a good experience. Mm. So to understand that distinction between the two, I think is, is a phenomenal evolution 
of the whole thinking. So, so really want to thank you for that. Sure. Um, and then just overall resources, Leanne, like wh- how do you get all of your knowledge? I mean, we've talked about it. It's two decades, you know, my God, <laughs> who wants to think about working for that length of time? As you mentioned, we're both going to the loyalty surgery uh, this week. So we'll be reporting back from that one. Um, and definitely from my side, you know, making sure that we're all up to date in terms of the latest thinking. But where do you go to stay up to date, Leanne? How do you how do you learn? Um, so we all have to look at the Wise Marketeer and all of those really good resources that are out there. But my passion is actually customer insights, okay. which lead to loyalty solutions. Okay. So the kind of the places that I go to are J. Walter Thomas Intelligence. I don't know if you get Never there. They no. are absolutely brilliant. They send out a weekly um, email. There's loads of information on their website, but a weekly email that they send out, which is just thinking, um, global thinking. They've just done one on the anxiety index. Oh, my God. Looking at anxiety and consumer behaviors. So it is not loyalty specific, but um, it gives you a really good insight into consumer behavior. Okay. Um, the other one is Forrester. We all love Forrester. It's it's absolutely fantastic and loyalty one. Mm-hmm. But my other favorite and the place I go to, especially when I'm building writing strategies for clients, is trendwatching.com. Yeah. Um, because they are they're yeah. very good again at at, at um, deciphering what's going on and putting it into information that you can actually use. And that's what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, which is yeah. we can do all this research, but if we can't translate it into insights, yeah. It's not valuable to any of us. And so it's how we actually do that. And I I remember actually on that point, one of the best insights that um, we had on a B2B loyalty program, which was for Dulux. So Axa Noble Global um, has a portion of their company is called Dulux. And it was a B2B loyalty program for the trade decorators in Ireland. Nice. And the interesting insight that we unearthed there is that they didn't see themselves as business people. Interesting. Oh, my goodness. They they flipped left and right as I'm a trade decorator, which is a business person in inverted commas, but I don't see myself as that. And then to I'm an everyday consumer. So every time they shopped, they're engaged with any brand, including Dulux for their trade. They purchased as if they were consumers. Interesting. And so when we created the loyalty strategy for Dulux trade points or the loyalty strategy called Dulux trade points for Dulux, we led the entire development of the loyalty strategy through the fact that these guys saw themselves as consumers and yet they were business people. Yeah. Um, and yeah. as a result of that, yeah. Dulux has now identified um, a cohort of trade customers that nobody else in Ireland has ever been able to communicate directly with. Wow. And we communicate on both in a, both a consumer and a business way so Lovely. that they never feel overwhelmed by okay. the communication they receive from a big brand like Dulux. Wow. Okay, Leanne, I really wanted to talk through um, one particular, I suppose, moment in time. And I think a lot of listeners would be at a point uh, regularly where they would kind of go, okay, now I'm starting maybe in a new job. I want to build a new loyalty program. And I think there are a lot of people listening who are curious about what is the correct strategic approach to building a loyalty program. So with that kind of mindset and need in mind, how would you recommend they go about that? Such a great question, Paul. And I think it's often where people get overwhelmed because mm. they don't know where to start. So I can share what I believe the best strategic process is. Okay. I'm sure there's other experts there. We've got other pieces to <laughs> add. Of, yes. But I'll share what's worked very well for us and our clients over the years. And that is um, the six-point kind of strategic approach that we take to loyalty. And anybody can do this. And Paula will tell okay. you all we're very generous with, with everything that we share. But the first step that we always take is finding out from the senior management, the directors, um, as I mentioned to you earlier, what their objectives are, what their challenges are in the business. Yes. Um, it's very important yeah. that you understand the background of the business. Yeah. Then what we tend to do is get into the absolute detail around what their loyalty expectations are. Love it. And what that does is it unpacks yeah. a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you find out who the naysayers are. You find <laughs> out who your supporters are. Yeah. And it's very 
important to be able to do that. And anybody who's read change management books will understand yeah. how important it is to face that demon very early. Okay. And I mean the situation, not the person. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> face that very early because it gives you a very clear idea of what the expectations are of the organization. And, and even if you're a loyalty manager, be brave enough to go in and ask for a meeting yeah. with key players um, yeah. in finance and what have you. And, and yeah. genuinely see how interested they are. Mm. Um, getting that commitment and buy-in from the very beginning yeah. will stand you instead going through um, your loyalty strategy process and, and the development that comes with it. The second thing that we tend to do is we tend to run a loyalty innovation workshop. Love it. And we bring as many people that are going to be involved in the project long-term mm -hmm. into that room. Mm -hmm. And bearing in mind, as you had alluded to earlier, Many of the organizations that we're going into, mm. they're saying to us, can you run a strategic review on a process, mm. um, a loyalty process for us? Mm. We don't know if we want a loyalty program or not, or we don't know if we can afford a loyalty program or not. So okay. we have no problem. We love clients coming to us and say, help us go through the motions mm. of figuring out which one would work for us or whether we need I like that side of it love because it. I feel that that's an informed decision that they're taking. And I must say to some of your listeners that might might think this is quite strange, in many an instance, mm. we would turn around and say, your organ at the end of the process, your organization wouldn't suit a loyalty strategy. Okay. They would rather suit this type of an approach. Okay. So that is that is quite an interesting um, place yes. to, to kind of get to. To land, yeah. The workshop is all about getting their entire team on the same page mm. with loyalty terminology. Okay. Um the understanding exactly what loyalty will and won't do. Nice. Um, because what we found is that the little, um, you know, Chinese walls and Chinese whispers that goes around are often the things that derail big change um, yeah. management programs or, or loyalty strategies that we create. So yeah. getting everybody on the same page, yeah. giving them that one or two day opportunity to share their views is really good. And in that um, loyalty innovation workshop, we get them to build what they think the optimum loyalty okay. strategy is. And okay. it's very good because you start to see yeah. what they think customers would want. Okay. And so we take all of that information and it goes into our third step, yeah. which is our loyalty wireframe development. And as I mentioned to you earlier, yeah. it tests loyalty triggers. It's about them saying no as much as it is about saying yes. Yeah. But the best part of it is yeah. majority of the ideas that you know come up in a boardroom or that come up from, from yeah. the team, you know, there's, a, there's an element of it that's there. But okay. really, Realistically, the customer might say yes or no, and we take that piece of information mm. along with everything else. Mm. And exactly as we mentioned, dig into the insights to try and find something that's completely unique. Yeah. Um, for anybody that works in an organization that has a lot of research, yeah. start there. Okay. Yeah. Start there. Okay. Um, go and have a look at all the research that's already been done because you're chances are you'll find a lot of interesting answers there as well. Okay. So use that. Don't ever let anything that's been done before go to waste. Yeah. Um, the fourth step then is really the um, optimum loyalty strategy. Okay. Just building the optimum mechanic. Yes. Um, the thing that they're going to engage with. Okay. Um, and that can be any any yeah. level of mechanic that you <laughs> yes. want it to be yeah. okay as long as it's as we mentioned earlier true to your brand yeah in line with what the business expectations are yeah and then the last step is to build that business case gotcha. um that everybody should be yes. really you know looking at as whether the loyalty strategy and mechanic would be a success or not okay okay um, and we are dogged about our business cases. <laughs> yes. Dogged about it. And that's why we, we have so many um, financial directors and, and CFOs part of our loyalty implementation pieces because yes. we bring it to them to have a look at. Okay. So the difference is that it, it by the end of the loyalty strategy, we know yeah. that we have a strategy that would work. Okay. And we have a strategy that we know customers will engage with, but it's making sure that the business understands the implication and the investment, yes, um, both fixed and variable costs that are going to be required to actually launch it. Yeah, 
And then in the final step is we go and find brilliant people like yourselves <laughs> to help us with the implementation yeah. of the reward side or the technology. Yeah. And then quite often our clients keep us on to manage those programs yeah. um, right out to the end, like many other clients we work with, yeah. um, where we run their programs. And you're okay. constantly testing and learning and testing and learning. Yeah. So that's from a consulting point of view. But yeah. really anybody who's working within an organization, mm. I would say, copy and paste <laughs> yes. those exact steps yeah. in whatever shape or form. And I think you'll come out with a really robust, sound strategy to work with. That sounds amazing. Fantastic. So Leanne, um, I want to, first of all, again, just acknowledge the incredible work. I know when you came to the Irish market and set up Chili Pepper 15 years ago, it was the only loyalty marketing strategy agency in the country. And what blows my mind is it still is. So um, it's, it's incredible to work with you and follow your journey. And I do want to make sure that people have an opportunity to connect with you. Um, so first of all, is there anything that we haven't covered off that you'd like to kind of mention as we close? There's so much, Paula. <laughs> um, there, there really is so much. And I think what's been beautiful from, from Chili Pepper's point of view is we've watched Ireland on its journey. Yeah. But we also keep an eye on everything that's going on across the globe, as, yeah. as well as many of your audience, um, I'm sure they do too. But what's different at Chili Pepper is we capture a lot of it and we put it up onto our website, chilipepper.ie, mm. and mm. we share that information because we're firm believers in sharing yeah. as much as we possibly can. So anybody who wants to get access to that, it's free. Okay. Um, knock yourselves out, go online, and, and hopefully you get some inspiration from it. Wonderful. Okay. So what I am going to do is obviously make sure the show notes have Chili Pepper's uh, website. And again, because uh, Leanne Papayuanu is not something everybody uh, might know how to spell, I'm going to also make sure that we've got links directly to your LinkedIn profile, if that's okay. And just remains for me to say from my side, thank you for joining Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform. Find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews. And thanks again for supporting the show.